If you would, turn to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, and uh, we have walked through this book of the Bible. Uh, We walked through this book of the Bible for an extended period of time as a church family. And as you come to the book of Philippians, there's much that is taking place. If you were to kind of walk through the book of the Bible here, you'll find some key phrases. You'll find some key themes throughout. For instance, in in chapter number 1, you begin to see the the statement of, of something being used as a word there and then something of the gospel. You have the fellowship of the gospel. You have the defense of the gospel. You continue going on the furtherance of the gospel. You see the faith of the gospel. Some of those types of things that are beginning to, to be revealed in Philippians chapter 1. And as a church, we, we have taken certain themes over the course of the years. And we started out with a vision for the future and emphasized a vision for the future for a couple of years and, and praying that the Lord would just reveal His will for our church and that the church would grow and that we would walk with Him. And we took the theme of magnifying Christ. And we'll look at that verse here in a few moments. And last year, we are looking unto Jesus, and now we've taken the theme of being given, Isaiah 6, 8. And as you study the, the, the word given, if you were to really look at stories in Scripture concerning the, the concept of being given, to be de- dedicated, be wholly sold out to God, you'll find that if there's one person in Scripture outside of the Lord Jesus Christ that had given himself for us, that you'll find that Paul was one of those people that understood what it meant to be given. And he was given wholeheartedly. He was all in. He, if you think about Paul, Paul was one who was persecuting the church. Paul was one who, who wanted to, to ruin the church and wanted to destroy the church. He was trying to mock the church. He was trying to do anything he could possibly do to make sure that the, the work of God did not move forward. And there are people in this world who will always try to make sure that the work of God does not move forward. But Paul was a little different, and this is something we see in our day and age today. You think about an atheist. You think about an agnostic. You think about someone who is just against the Word of God, against God Himself, against anything religious. And that person is is, is standing there saying, there's no such thing as a God. There's no such thing as one who is a creator. You're talking about all these things. And all of it changes. And this is how Paul was. Paul was mocking and ridiculing and trying to destroy the church until he met God Himself. You see, all of it changes the moment you actually meet Jesus Christ. You come face to face with the Lord. You, you find yourself ridiculing and mocking only for you to, to be revealed to the one himself. And then all of a sudden things change. And so now Paul, after he meets Jesus Christ, he goes and he begins to, to be invested in. And he begins to work alongside. And then all of a sudden he's thrust into the ministry himself. And Paul is one who you find the theme of his life was just to make much of Jesus Christ. The theme of our lives ought to be to make much of Jesus Christ. As Brother Dean Miller just referenced to it, we've referenced this many, many times, but when you begin to try to separate the secular from the spiritual, you cannot do it because Jesus Christ lived in one way. That was a spiritual. Paul lived in one way. He lived in the spiritual. You find in Scripture many people who didn't separate those things because when you're a child of God, all you live is the spiritual. Just today, I was going to be planning on preaching uh, from the book of, of Psalms, and I was studying over the last week or two in Psalms 43. Psalm 42 and 43 go hand in hand, and they kind of continue to flow together and some of the key statements that are found there. And, and as I was preparing to, to study and, and or to preach, I, I said, Lord, for some reason you keep bringing back Philippians chapter 1. And so I was out and about earlier, and I came up here to the church, and I left, and I went and got a couple of things done. Then I went and got uh, some food from Chipotle, and then I went and got a haircut, and then I went home. And along the way, there were some stops, and I was reflecting on Philippians chapter 1 for some reason, knowing that I was going to preach from Psalm 43. And as I was 
in that, one of the things that we will, as preachers, will try to do sometimes is just really just, we want to preach whatever the Lord has for us to preach. And I was praying, and I said, Lord, I, I want to stay in Psalms. We're walking through Psalms of the church, but if, if you have for me to preach something else, reveal that. And so two different times a day, I stopped in, and I was standing in line for just a few moments at Chipotle, and I was standing there, and, and someone says, hey, uh, I see that you, you, you have, uh, you know, this, I have my phone out, and I was looking through my notes on my phone. I have all my, my sermons saved on my phone on, on books, and I do PDFs, and so I was looking at it, and she says, I see the, the word Philippians there. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm a preacher here in town. I pastor Gateway Baptist Church, and so I'm trying to, you know, see what I'm going to be preaching tonight, and they said... They said, oh, I love the book of Philippians. It's, it's such an awesome book, and it's so sweet, and there's so much there. And you, you, the, the testimony of Paul and his excitement and fervor for the Lord, I said, yeah. I said, you preach for a few moments. I'll just stand right here. And uh, she started laughing. And, and so as I was standing there, I went in and, and got my food, and I just told them, have a nice day. I said, hey, if you're looking for a church, come see us over at Gateway Baptist Church. And so I get my food, and I leave it in the, in the truck, and I go and get a haircut for just a few moments. And as I'm sitting there, Whenever, I don't know how you are whenever you're getting a haircut, but whenever I'm getting a haircut, I, I, I'm, I'm betwixt, if you, if you understand. I'm caught in the middle of something. I, I want to, to, to make sure that I'm not disrespectful and not talk. But at the same time, any one of you ever like me where when you're sitting in, in the chair and you're getting a haircut, you just want to fall asleep? Uh, you, just, you, just want, is that, is that, yeah, you just want to fall asleep. And so I'm sitting there, and it's one of those where I'm sitting there, and usually if, if, if they're not talking, I'll just close my eyes and I'll just sit there while they're cutting. But for some reason, I, I didn't close my eyes this time. So I'm sitting there. There's no conversation going on. My eyes are open, and she's just kind of walking around and doing that. And then all of a sudden, because I get a shorter haircut every time, she, and I get this question every time I get my haircut, and if it's by someone different, they say, are you military? And I said, no. I said, actually, I grew up in a military home. I'm actually a pastor here in town. And uh, I said, I pastor Gateway Baptist Church. And, and so she says, oh, Really? I said, yeah, I passed her. She says, you know, we, me and my husband just got out of church about a year ago because of COVID, and he literally just said the other day, hey, we need to get back in church. And so she, she, she says, now, she said, let me ask you a question. She said, like, are you, are you on staff at the church? Like, what does that mean? Does, like, a pastor, because they went to a, a community uh, church within their neighborhood. It wasn't a, a, a church location. They said, we had a group of people who met, and uh, we, we kind of just had the Bible, and we, we met as a, a group of people in the neighborhood. And so I said, yeah, I'm on staff at the church. The church, you know, I, I work for the church. And so she says, she said, so is it, is it like a normal job? I said, yeah, in, in a lot of ways, it's 24-7. You know, you, I said, just as I was walking in, I was talking to two, two church members as, as I was standing there waiting to get my hair cut. I said, there are times whenever I'll have to go in the middle of the night or times when I said, we have church on Sundays and on Wednesdays, and so I'm studying. I said, yeah, it, it's, it's more than just, you know, what you would think. You know, people sometimes don't understand everything. So I said, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's pretty, pretty much, you know, you're on call and, in a lot of ways, but you're also studying and you're preparing, you're planning, things like that. And so she says, okay, well, let me ask you this. She said, what is your favorite Bible verse? And I said, mm. I said, well, there's so many that I, that I truly enjoy. But I said, honestly, I said, probably Philippians 1.20. Now, if you were to look at my Bible, I had my Bible rebound. One of the, the things that I tried to do is I was really trying to find what Bible I wanted to preach from. You know, there's so many different Bibles as far as the text, the layout, and things like that. And so I had to find what fit for me. And so I got my Bible rebound. And on, on my, my rib right here, now yours might have a spot where it says, you know, what version it is. Or it might say Holy Bible. Or it might say, you know, who it's made by. Whatever the case might be. 
But I, whenever I had my mind bound, I had two verses that were put on mine. Because I, every time I hold it, I want to be reminded that it's not about me, it's all about Him. And two of those was Psalm 34.3, and that verse deals with the, the, the concept of to God be the glory. You know, and that, that's, that's something that I've understood and emphasized here is that, and that's, you know, a verse that we, we've read that's a, a theme that we've taken. Hymn 52 is sung all the time. And then also on the very bottom, Philippians 1.20. Look with me, if you would, for just a moment, Philippians 1.20, because it was through these two ladies today where the Lord began to impress upon my heart to continue to move in the direction that he would have for me to preach this message. Psalm, I mean, uh, Philippians 1.20, the Bible says, according to my earnest expectation... Now, as you immediately come to verse number 20, it's dealing with this idea of faith. Having faith in the Lord, understanding that God has something for you, understanding that He has a purpose, He has a plan. And that's one of the things that you, you, you study the life of Paul. Paul was one who was persecuting the church, but he was empty while he was doing it. He, he was trying to ruin the church, but he didn't understand why it wasn't fulfilling. He was trying to destroy everything that was spiritual in front of him, but nothing left him feeling satisfied until he found Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he found his true purpose. And can I share with you, if you invest all of your time, all of your energy, all of your money, all of your, your, your abilities to try to make much of this world, you will always find yourself left empty. The moment you start investing in the Lord, you, the moment you start investing in the, the spirits, the moment you start finding yourself saying, Lord, I want to be given to you, not to this world, you'll find yourself finding yourself laying your head down on your pillow and saying, man, that was fulfilling. Watching God work was fulfilling. Serving the Lord is fulfilling. Watching Him use me is fulfilling. Watching Him do something in, 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 in my life is fulfilling. And so according to my earnest expectation, that word expectation there is speaking of my highest opinion, something that he is thinking on, something that he has thought on much. And my hope, that word my hope statement right there is speaking of that confidence in the Lord. It's speaking of that godly anticipation, something that is not a, a faithless hope. It's not like, hey, I hope that this happens tomorrow. I hope it doesn't rain. Not like that. It is a hope that it is a anticipation that, hey, God is going to do something. And so he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. As he says this right here is that statement, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. You've got to understand where Paul's coming from. Paul is put in, in prison as he's writing to the church of Philippi. He is saying things like this because he's wanting them to understand, that, hey, I have no regrets. Whatever befalls upon me, I have zero regrets. Hey, if I'm persecuted, I have zero regrets. If I'm left for dead, I have zero regrets. Hey, if, if I'm left dying of hunger, I have zero regrets. And so as he says this right here, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I've done all that God would have for me. But that which with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified. In my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I want not. Now we're going to come to this here in just a few moments, but Paul is saying, hey, what's about to take place is not necessarily what I would choose. Paul's caught in the middle of something, and we'll get to it here in a few moments, but what he's caught in, in the middle of is Paul is saying, hey, I'm ready to go. Uh, hey, if the Lord sees fit to take me, I'm not arguing. And that's truly what I would desire. But for some reason, the Lord has chosen not to take me, so nevertheless, I live. Nevertheless, I'm going to continue. Nevertheless, I'm going to continue walking with Him, serving Him, doing the work that He would have for me. Verse number 23, For I'm in a bit straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart. Here it is. I'm ready to go, 
having a desire to part and to be with Christ, which is far better, and I believe we could all agree it is far better to be with Christ than on this earth. We understand that. But he says this, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul here is, is making this known that, hey, what God's will for my life is to be left right here because He has something for me to give to you. He, he has, a, hey, he has a, a message that I need to deliver to you. He has something that needs to be said. He has something that needs to be understood, that needs to be heard right this very moment. And so as you find yourself coming to Philippians chapter number 1 this evening, as you begin to, to think about your own life, and you might be asking this question. This is one of the questions that is asked. There was a, an article that was put out probably about a year ago. One of the, the most asked questions on Google at the time was, what is my purpose? Now, you think back a year ago. There was a lot of depression a year ago. Uh, people were struggling a year ago. People were wondering, what can I do if I'm, if I'm locked inside of my house? What can I do? You know, there's nothing. What is my purpose? And so this was one of the, the questions that was asked. Uh, a doctor ended up going out and writing a book on depression that people were dealing with. And he wrote on depression, and he wrote about three different Bible characters that faced depression. And he began to address this, and he began to address this from the spiritual side of it, from the physical side of it, from the emotional side of it, and how God dealt with each of them. You think about Job. The book of Job is a very strange book. I mean, the, the very last words of the book of Job, Job is saying, just curse me, I want to die. I mean, he's just seen, he's been participating in the greatest revival to ever take place. The entire nation of Nineveh is reached, and he wants to just find himself dying. I mean, you think about that. And so as you, you come to certain Bible characters in Scripture, this, this, this doctor began to write on the, some of these things. And so Paul is saying, hey, there's a purpose. But can I share with you that purpose is not found in outside resources. That purpose is not found in your career. That purpose is not found in your family. That purpose is not found in that vehicle. That purpose is not found in whatever you pursue as a hobby. That purpose is only found in Jesus Christ. And so as you come to the book of Philippians, Paul begins to deal with some things and help us understand what is our purpose. Well, look with me one more time at this statement in Philippians 1.20, that Christ shall be magnified. Now, for just a few moments, I want you to be honest with yourself, as I've been honest with myself, and, and, and I seek to do so in this way. Is Christ truly magnified in every area of my life? Not just, not just my home life. Not just my, my life whenever I'm around people. Not just my church life. Not just whenever I'm around, you know, some of my greatest friends. Not just when I'm around other preachers. Not just when I'm around my children. But no, in all matters and in all areas of life is Christ magnified. When people see me, do they see Christ? When people are in t uh, talking to me, do they understand that, hey, Christ has made a difference in my life? Is Christ truly magnified? Paul wanted one thing. He wanted that Christ would be magnified in his life. In the book of Philippians, Paul begins to write, and as he is found in prison, he is writing to the church of Philippi, and he is saying, hey, there are going to be those who are going to persecute you. There are going to be those who try to, to, to rob you of your joy. There are going to be those who are trying to, to destroy the gospel, but nevertheless, the gospel still advances. Can I share with you, there's not a single person you can name the greatest atheist on this earth. You say, hey, hey, they have the greatest influence among atheists. They don't hold enough power to stop the gospel from moving forward. The gospel will always advance because God is the gospel. You think about what Jesus Christ did on the cross and what he has for people. If God wants to reveal himself to man, he can do that. There's not a person out there that's going to stop it. And so as you think about what Paul is trying to get across here, he reveals a couple of things. Notice with me the first thing, Paul's decision. In verse number 20, Paul makes a decision here. 
Now, if you and I were to be honest with ourselves, if we were to find ourselves in the current conditions that Paul was, and if you're ever curious about the conditions that Paul was in, I'll encourage you to go and you to study not only what the Word of God has to say, but also the the, the era, if you would, the, the time in which Paul was living, the conditions of what really took place in those prisons, and it is disgusting. It's cold, it's nasty, there, there, there's, there, there's nothing pleasant about it at all. It's not like our modern day jails and, and the jail cells and the modern day uh, prison. It's not like you get your own little jail. It's, it's disgusting. And so as Paul is writing, the circumstances in which he is writing are not pleasant. As you begin to think about all that he is facing here and what he is trying to get the people to understand, he says these words, according to my earnest expectation, hey, this is my decision to believe, this is my decision to to have faith in God and my hope, my godly anticipation that in nothing, hey, I'm not ashamed, I'm not not looking back and saying, man, I should have went a different route, I should have let someone else do it, hey, I shouldn't have followed God. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not ashamed of this. With all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. In this passage of Scripture, in verse number 20, we find that the theme that we've just come from, looking unto Jesus, is exactly what Paul is trying to help us understand. His eyes were on Jesus. You see... The entire book of Philippians, you can sense that, that Paul was just continuing to be fixated on Jesus. And as he is writing to the church of Philippi, his eyes are only on Jesus, not his circumstances. And it's very hard in our day and age, and, and our flesh creeps in, oftentimes, whenever we are facing troubling times, all we want to look at is our circumstances. Secondary is looking unto Jesus after we find out, hey, can we do anything? And Paul is saying, hey, my circumstances aren't pleasant. Oh, what I'm facing isn't something that I would choose, but hey, Christ shall be magnified. Hey, I, what, what I'm going through isn't something that I would choose for my life. It's not something that, hey, I see that I enjoy, but Christ shall be magnified. Hey, there are those who are trying to, to rob my joy. There are those who are trying to disrupt the gospel and to destroy those other Christians and to try to, to destroy the, the church and what God has, but hey, Christ shall be magnified. You see, whenever the child of God is facing things, we have a decision to make. Paul's decision is this, I'm not going to gripe, I'm not going to complain, I'm not going to fuss, I'm not going to look at it and say, hey, why would you let me go this? No, he says, Christ shall be magnified. Uh, Is it something I choose? No, Christ shall be magnified. As you continue walking through, Paul here is finding, uh, helping us to understand that Christ was always his aim. Over 230 times in the New Testament, Paul makes reference to Jesus Christ. I'd say it was a part of his message. I would say that Jesus Christ was someone that was on his mind often. I'd say that Paul, as you go and you study the epistles that he is writing, that as he is starting out these epistles, he is looking and understanding that, hey, he's just a servant of Jesus Christ. He's a nobody. I mean, Paul is the one who says, hey, if there was ever a sinner that was unworthy, I was the one. If there was ever one who, who had all the knowledge of the world, that was also me. But without Christ, I'm nothing. And so Paul was one who was controlled and consumed by Jesus Christ. His greatest desire was just to point others and to reach others through the gospel in Jesus Christ. He's not holding back that word boldness here, as it says in verse number 20, but with all boldness, he is saying, hey, I'm not going to hold back. Can I, can I share with you for just a moment what he is saying? He says, I'm not going to share a message and be, be, be scared to say something. I'm not going to be able to, uh, afraid to call sin, sin. I'm not going to be afraid to preach Christ. I'm not going to be afraid that someone might get their feelings hurt. If the Word of God says it, I'm going to say it. If God says it, I'm going to say it. That's what Paul said. Hey, I'm not going to hold back here. I imagine 
As you, you think about Paul, Paul was one who, who really just could care less if someone got offended about Jesus Christ. The Lord, you, you know, you, you, say that, you say Jesus nowadays and people really do get offended by that name. I imagine someone, if they were around Paul and, and you know, Paul's preaching on Christ, someone would get offended and, and he'd just look at him and say, good, you should get offended. Just yesterday I was on social media for a few moments and I came across a video it was a, a video of a, a group of people who were outside, and, and they were having church. And they were having church in a neighborhood, and a lady came by, and she was talking to them, and she, she was very simply just saying, hey, you can't, you can't do this. You can't have church here. You can't, you, you're singing, and everybody in the neighborhood can hear it. You can't do this. And she said, it's against the law. And he says, no, ma'am, it's not. And they just went about singing and proclaiming Jesus. You think about that. Paul would have been like, hey, listen, you offended by Jesus, meet him and you won't be offended anymore. And I mean, he, he's just going to keep proclaiming the name. He's going to boldly do so. And so Paul had courage. As he says right here, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be back. He had, he had courage. He was, he was unwilling to, to sacrifice what God had called him to do, which was to serve him. Paul, as you go to the book of, of, of Philippians and you, you come, continue walking through and you go to Colossians and Ephesians, as you look at these, notice the very beginning of Philippians 1. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus, that's all he was. Paul didn't think highly of himself. Matter of fact, if, if Paul wasn't able to do something but the work of God was, to, uh, was accomplished, I imagine Paul was just glorying in the fact that Jesus was being pushed forward, that, that the message was being proclaimed. You know, far too often as you go and you study church history, you'll find that church history will, will sometimes have valleys and will sometimes have mountaintops experiences. And oftentimes it's because of a conflict of interest or conflict of personality among preachers if, or ministries. You find that, hey, there, there are valleys within church history. Oftentimes it's because other preachers thought other preachers should do it this way. And when you, you find that there are mountaintop experiences, it's oftentimes because the church itself said, hey, enough about us, it's all about him. Now let's put our, put our silly differences aside and let's look, just look unto Jesus together. And let's just see what we can accomplish for the Lord together. And so Paul understood this. Paul knew as you study the book of Philippians that the Lord would rescue him. He wasn't fearing this. As a matter of fact, if he didn't get rescued, he was rejoicing that he'd be with Christ. Uh, you know, and so as you think about some of those things, and you think about what Paul was saying here, and this word bold here as he's dealing with this, but without a boldness of speech here as dealing with it's, it's speaking of this plainness of speech. It's speaking that, uh, that he could not. You know, you go to the book of Acts, and the, the book of Acts they say, we cannot but help but talk of the things in which we've seen and heard. Well, they were so consumed of what God was doing that they had to tell someone. It's kind of like Jackson just the other night as we were talking about that, and I shared this on Sunday, but as that invitation was given and that boy's hand shot up after the service, he was bolting trying to tell people he'd just gotten saved. He couldn't help, but he had to tell somebody. He went to Miss Jessica, he went to Miss, Miss Sally, he went to some of the ladies of the church and just had to tell them. As, as I was sitting in the chair, he comes up to me, hey, Mama told me I need to talk to you. Well, what are you talking about? I need to talk to you about what, what I prayed and asked Jesus to do. And so, I mean, he's just fired up. He's excited. These kids come out of their classes and they'll tell you about what they're learning. They're telling you about what God is doing in their lives. You think about the teens, and as the teens come back from teen camp and they're sharing testimonies, they can't help but just tell you what God is doing. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, as I was walking in, Jaden walked up to me and was telling me some verses that he was memorizing. He couldn't help but just tell me of some things that he was doing. You think about all of that, and sometimes within our lives, we get so consumed with God, and it's amazing how that when we get consumed with God, all of a sudden it starts to overfill or overspill. 
You just can't help it. You've got to tell someone. As you think about Paul, Paul was so bold, he says, hey, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep telling. Paul's purpose, as he reveals his purpose, is found in Christ alone. Not only do we see, as you think about Paul and, and, and Paul specifically for his decision, but we also see Paul's dedication. In verse number 21, the Bible says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In verse number 20, you see that Paul is revealing his faith. In verse number 21, you see that Paul is dealing with his future. Paul dealing with his future here, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In Paul's life, Christ was all in all. You think about individuals, you think about your family, you think about people that you love dearly. And I, I, for me, I, I love my family. My family is all in all, and I wonder sometimes how much more could I be all in all for Christ? You know, you, sometimes I'll, I'll look at people who, who can barely do certain things as far as, you know, they're not able to, to function as much or they're not, they're, their hands are uh, crippled or they're, they're crippled in general and they're, they're just wanting to do anything for Christ. They're, they're sold out to God. They'll do anything. You know, two years ago you saw a picture that was circulating all over the, the Internet and it was even on the news at one point in time where there was a, an individual who was vacuuming. They were in a wheelchair, but they said, hey, I want to serve, and they were vacuuming in a wheelchair. They were, they were going to do anything they could to serve God, all in all. And you think about Isaiah 6, 8 being given to God, and I wonder tonight how many of us have said, hey, I really want to, but what does it mean? It means that you just say, God, I want to magnify you in all ways. God, I want to be so given to you that nothing is going to stop me. Hey, if someone on the street comes up to me and says, hey, I want you to stop preaching the name of Christ, you look at them and say, no, I need to preach more about Jesus Christ. Hey, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, you need to quit being so generous to people, you say, no, I need to be more generous to people. I need to show the love of Christ to people. Paul understood that. He was dedicated to it. And he begins to speak of his future here in verse number 21. For me to live is Christ. Hey, I must live and let Christ do the work. But to die is gain. Verse number 22, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. As you see right here in verse number 22, as he is dealing with this, this is the fruit of my labor, speaking of the manifestation and the magnification of Jesus Christ himself. And then as he makes this statement, Yet what I shall choose, I what not. He's saying, hey, I don't know what I want to choose. I don't know what's going to be chosen, but I do know one thing. As he continues moving forward, verse number 23 says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to par and to be with Christ, which is far better. He's in a dilemma here. He says, hey, I don't know what's going to be chosen, but I do know one thing. I'm in a dilemma. You ever been praying about something? And as you're praying about something, someone is asking you questions, and the question, they keep asking you just you know, 20 questions. Every time your answer is, I don't know. What are you going to do about this? I don't know. Well, how are you all going to do this? I don't know. Well, what happens if this? I don't know. You, know, you just you have no answer. You know, and as you find yourself saying, I don't know. Paul here is saying, hey, I don't know what's going to take place, but I do know one thing. I'm, I'm in a dilemma. My dilemma is I want to be there, but God sees fit to keep me here. And, you know, you think about uh, people that are laying on their deathbed, Christians that are laying on their deathbed, and as you think about this, I remember whenever my grandfather died. And it was just, just a, a few hours before he would, would, would pass on, and his last words were, today's a good day. And then he passed away. As you think about things like that, and you think about people passing on and people that are laying on their deathbed, and as they, they can anticipate that, hey, my, my day is about to end, my time on this earth is about to end. I can imagine as they're sitting there and they're laying on that deathbed, hey, they would love to see their family. 
But what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I can imagine as they're laying there thinking, man, I wish I could wake up and see my family tomorrow, but what a day it's going to be to see my Savior. The one who died on the cross for me, the one who saved me by His grace, the one who, who had something for me and said, hey, you're worthy of me dying on the cross for you. Because of that, you find purpose. There are people every single day that are looking for purpose, people that are trying to find purpose in all of these circumstances and all of these accolades and all of their job titles and all these many things, but they're not finding it. They're dissatisfied. But then they find Jesus. You know, I keep going back to this, and I've shared it time and time again, and there are many athletes who've said it, but when Tom Brady made that statement, there's, there's got to be more. He had the he had the the trophies. He had he had the cars. He had the house. He had the wife. He had the 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 the, the money. He had all these things. And the, the reporter said, "What more could a man want?" He said, "I don't know, but there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this." As you think about this, when you look at the world and what the world has to provide, there's nothing in comparison. Whenever you find Jesus Christ, He satisfies all. And so Paul here is reminding us of this right here, that, hey, he's all in all for God. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As you look for this right here for just a moment, we're almost done and I'll be done. As you look at this statement in verse number 21, notice with me for just a moment this statement. For me, for to me, speaks of how personal it is. Now, he wasn't speaking on someone else's behalf. He's saying for to me. No, this is personal. This is for to me. For to me, it's speaking of how personal it was. He says right here, to live and how practical that is. Hey, for to me is personal. To live is practical. Hey, it's Christ is possible. Hey, for to me to live is Christ. That's, it's, it's, it's personal. It's possible. It's practical. And to die is gain. It's profitable. Can I share with you, anytime you die to self and give your life to Christ, it's always a profitable thing. The times in which you're trying to live in your own ability, your own strength, is the times that you find yourself struggling. But the moment you lay yourself in the altar and say, oh, oh Lord, it's time. I go back to the, the youth meeting that we had and that song, When I Lay My Isaac Down. The message there, he wasn't looking for him. He wasn't looking for that child. He wasn't interested. He just wanted you. He wanted me. You think about that and the message of that song and what was taking place there. And he says right here, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul here is making some things really known to us concerning his dilemma and his dedication unto the Lord and as he makes reference to his faith but also his future. And he's making reference to all these things for helping us to understand. And you see, one, one preacher put it this way. He said, for to me to live is money, you can't take it. For to me to live is fame, you can't bring the fan base. For to me to live is success, you can't bring the success with you. For to me to live is education, your de- degrees will stay here. Death is only gained when your life consists of Christ. You think about that. You think about what you want your life. You're looking for your purpose. You're trying to find God's plan for you. Well, find yourself looking to Jesus and He'll show you the plan. You say, what's the purpose? Well, the first purpose is for you to find Christ. God, what do you have for me? Magnify me. Paul begins to finally help us to see his dilemma here one last time, his conflict, as he makes reference to this. And In verse number 24, he says this, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, speaking of how necessary it was. You see, Paul, his desire was to be taken, but he understood that what his desire was overrided whenever he found what God's desire is. Can I share with you, there are going to be times whenever we find ourselves and we're, we're, we're betwixt, 
As Paul says right here, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He was, hey, you're going to find yourself in a dilemma at times. You're saying, man, I, I really want to do this, but I feel as though the Lord might lead me leading in this direction. Whenever you find yourself saying, you know what, I want this, but Christ wants this, and so if Christ wants this, I surrender. And that's hard. It's hard to do that. Sometimes you find yourself saying, but, but is that a bad thing? You know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing for it to go against what God's will is for your life. You see, growing up, I played sports. I loved basketball. And basketball was the one thing in my life that the devil could really get my attention with if he wanted to take me off path of what God's will was. And basketball in and of itself is not a bad thing. But if I were to give my life to basketball, it takes me out of the will of God. The will of God for my life is to be a preacher and to be a pastor of Gateway Baptist Church. The will of God for my life is to be right here, not over there. And so sometimes you look at it and you say, well, it's really just not a bad thing, but is it what Christ would have for me? Is it God's will? You're praying about something right at this very moment. You're saying, hey, I want this, but God has this. Well, then go with what God has. But it's not a bad thing. It doesn't matter. What does God want? But, but, but this is, I, you don't realize, I could, I could really reach some people or I could do this. No, no, no. We always think that. Coming out of college, I was given one final chance. I, I've got the paper at the house, and it, it, I got a, an offer to go over to Europe and play basketball. And I remember having this conversation with, with Kelly, and we were talking about this. I said, man, what a blast. That would be one year to go over and play basketball in Europe and all this. That was the one final chance that Satan said, oh, let's see if I can just cast that and see if he'll bite on it. And I remember thinking, what's one year? I make all this money, then I can use it for the Lord's work and, you know, this and that. And let's just be honest, in Europe, I'm not going to be making millions anyways. I would have been on the D team, and there's only T, D, A, B, C, and D anyways. You know, I would have probably been the bench guy on the D team, so I probably would have been a, you know, a minimum contract of $12,000 and thinking I was going to make all this money. But it looked appealing. I remember thinking, man, I could go over there, play basketball, which I love to do, make some money, and then come over and be a pastor, go on staff. But I could use that money that I made to, to, to invest. It always looks good. Satan always paints a pretty picture. Satan always makes it look as though it's so appealing, and then you, you find yourself really sitting back and saying, but what does God have? And all of a sudden, whenever you start to say, what does God have, you begin to say, that picture doesn't really look that appealing. What does God have? Then you begin to look and you say, okay, Lord, show me what you have. And I'll tell you, what God had was not what I anticipated. I did not anticipate. I was telling the, the, the lady when I was getting my hair cut, she said, she said, so what do you do? She said, are you military? I said, no, I'm a pastor here in town and all that. She says, really? She says, you look so young. I said, I, I, I'm, yeah. She, she said, I, I, I made the same. I said, well, I started pastoring at the age of 23. And she said, and how old are you now? I said, I'm 29. She said, oh, you're still a little baby. I was like, you know, I don't know how many times I get told that right there. I, I, you know, I'm not a baby. I've got two children and one on the way, all right? But it wasn't what I anticipated. That, that picture that, that I, you know, and God only reveals so much. Because I'll tell you right now, if God would have revealed all of it, I said, nope. Bye. Christ shall not be magnified in that plan. Then God along the way began to reveal step by step. And I'll tell you, and I don't have time tonight to go through everything, but I looked through the last five years, and there were some times whenever we were up here on the mountaintop, and I said, man, what, a, what, a, what an awesome time. We've had some valleys. We've had some times where I said, man, is it worth it? 
We've had some times where I said, Lord, why? Can I share with you tonight? You've had some mountaintops. You said, man, Christ will be magnified up here, but is he magnified down here? You see, it's easy to point others and talk about Christ when we're up here. What about in the valley? Whenever you say, you see, Paul, as he's writing the church of Philippi, I would look at Paul's situation and say, that's a valley. It's nasty. It's disgusting. He's not doing what he would prefer to do. Paul doesn't look at it that way. He says, no, whatever Christ sees fit, he's going to be magnified in my life. For to me to live, finish it. Give him. Give him. I wonder tonight, are you giving to the Lord? Whatever he has for your life. This upcoming Sunday is Vision Sunday. And I'm looking forward to it. But I'll tell you, uh, as I have been reflecting on these verses here, I ask myself, am I, am, I, am I magnifying Christ in my life? In all ways, not just a little bit, not just here and there, but in all matters, is he magnified? May we magnify Christ tonight, be given to God. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness tonight. We thank you for the blessing of the church family. Tonight, we need to, every single one of us, Lord, do a thorough evaluation and say, are we sold out? Are we all in all? Are we given? Paul was all in all. Paul understood what it meant to live a life that was so dead to self that you were full of Christ. He understood what it meant to point people to the Savior. He understood that his circumstances didn't define him because he was defined in Christ. He understood that the plans and the purpose were only identified when he found himself living for Christ. And so, Lord, help us to live for you, to find ourselves saying, Lord, whatever you have, may we walk with you. May we die to self. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Help us, Lord. Help us to be given. We'll thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.